0: 54th ANC National Elective Conference. Everything you need to know. This is Eyewitness News. Hello and welcome to the third episode of The Showdown, a podcast that gives you everything you need to know as we lead up to the ANC's elective conference. Now, this conference happening as the party is in its fifth year of existence is very crucial and President Jacob Zuma will step down as leader of the ANC and another person will be elected to take over and become the 14th to lead the organization so in the previous two episodes of this podcast, we looked at the possible scenarios that could play out under the presidency of either of the two front runners, Dr. Nkosazana Jamini Zuma and Cyril Ramaphosa. Well, today we change gears a little and look at what happens between now and the 16th of December, now that all the provinces have made their nominations. And again, Stephen Frotus joins me to unpack this. Hi, Stephen.
1: Uh, good day to you, Clement.
0: So the nominations are out, uh, before we talk about that jostling and the lobbying that will be happening between now and next week, let's reflect a little bit on the provincial nominations. And I want us to start with Mpumalanga. Comrade Unity got about 223 votes, Mkosa Zanadlamini Zuma is 123, and Cyril Ramaphosa gets 117 what power does David Mabuza have, and what do you make of those?
1: Well, it's interesting because so many people have said he's the kingmaker. You'll see that in cartoons everywhere. Um, you know, I saw Professor Taniko Malaleko suggested that the only kingmaker he wants to, the only reason he's been called a kingmaker is because he's making himself king. Um, I think it's easy to overstate the influence he has, though. And I say that because what you're seeing is the idea that he can control the branches in Mpumalanga. That was sort of part of the discussion before the PGC process. Instead, what you see is that just over half the branches defy his instruction to vote for Comrade Unity Mm. and so actually he doesn't have that firm control. Now there are two three or four or maybe 16 different ways to analyze that. Yeah. I mean, on the one side, you could say the people who are supporting in Kosozana at Lamini zuma are just over-enthusiastic. You could say that the people who supported Tsura Ramaphosa are definitely going against him. I think that's fair to say in Mpumalanga. Um, That I think if he goes into any negotiation with anyone, he has to prove that he has control over his branches. And that's going to be his problem now. The other thing, of course, is that there's a little bit of skullduggery on all sides here. So, for example, in KwaZulu-Natal, I think you have around 35, 39 branches that abstained. You don't know which way they're going to go. Mm -hmm. Now, it's unlikely that if you support Kuzizana, Glamini, Zuma, and KZN that you're going to abstain in this process, but it's more likely that you're voting for Sila Ramaphosa and trying to hide the fact so you don't get disbanded by your region, Mm -hmm. which is supporting Glamini, Zuma. So, in Mpumalanga, I think his big problem is proving to the other power brokers that he has the power he claims to have, and he won't be the only one who's be you know managed to wrap themselves up in a ball of smoke to look more powerful than they currently are.
0: Yeah, but Stephen, I mean, the reality is he still has 223 branches at his disposal. Never mind the branches that have defied him and decided to nominate Ida Cyril on Kosazana. And I mean, you'll agree that every number counts, and 223. Mm-hmm. It's quite a big number.
1: It is a big number. Um, it also depends, though, on where we end. And so, of course, we now get into the really complicated maths of the difference between the number of delegates and the branch yeah. nominations, yeah. what's happening in the rest. I mean, most most counts, not all, but most counts, yeah. sort of have maposa ahead, um, from anywhere from around 400 branches, maybe a bit higher, to sort of just below Dlamini-Zuma. I must say, I don't buy the numbers coming from the Dlamini-Zuma side that she's in the lead. I, don't, I think that's hard to sustain. Mathematically. Politically, of course, it's a different question. Yeah. um If Ramaphosa, though, his strategy up until now has been to negotiate with nobody, that's probably worked for him. And I don't know at some point if he's going to have to change that strategy. And he might well have to. The question, of course, then becomes are there other people he can negotiate with and not just uh, David Mabuza? And I think he will have very few options.
0: Yeah. And it's still on David Mabuza. I mean, there are. You mentioned a number of scenarios and what different political analysts are saying. And some people have made an argument that the reason he's really stressing the issue of unity and holding on um, to these votes, this 223 votes that voted for Comrade Unity, is that he realizes that he may lose the deputy presidency if conference resolves to do what President Jacob Zuma suggested, to let the losing candidate run for deputy. Do you think that's the case? Because surely, I mean... If he's going against Cyril Ramaphosa on Kosozana Dlamini-Zumo for the position of deputy,
1: I don't see him winning. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so either. Of course, it might depend on whether we're going to have more than one deputy, and that starts to become complicated. I think there's a much bigger problem happening within the ANC at the moment. And it goes like this. When the two sides are so equal, and I think we'd have to accept that they are very equal, Mm. that raises the chances of either side refusing to accept an outcome. So, you know, you've got 5,000 delegates of 2,449 of them are suddenly told they're losers and 2,551 of them are told they're winners. You can imagine what that hall is going to look like. I mean, there'll be no process anywhere in the world where there wouldn't immediately be a call for a recount. And I think mm. that would be very likely. And then that process goes on and on and on. There's no outcome and things start to get very complicated from there, unless these negotiations can happen before. Um, and so, I think this is where it starts to get nice and complicated. So, um, if Ramaphosa has enough and thinks he has enough, despite what delegates might be telling the other side, then you've got all the real complicated technicalities around how delegates can, are voting in secret. They're not allowed to take cell phones to prove who they voted for. Yeah. Um, so it really comes down to control of delegates. And I think, like, literally, someone is going to be doing a delegate count every minute of that particular conference. And, and this is also a fight for control of delegates rather than hearts and minds of delegates so never mind the campaigning it's about that fight for control of the machine. It's about vote buying as well. <laughs> we'll it, it is. Except the problem with that is that you can't be courted. At it. So yeah. I mean, you know, one one picture on Twitter of cash changing hands during the conference. Off to court we go. And that's oh. the atomic weapon both sides have: is that they can go to court at any. And, and there are already applications in play to allow them to go to court later if they want.
0: All right. Let's take a listen to what political analyst uh, Lukwana Amguni, thinks of. Um, David Mabuza's plans were how he will be using these 223 votes in his advantage at conference.
2: Yes, Titi has managed to position himself in a very good uh, place because now... Uh, even if uh, those he is seemingly associated with the KwaZulu-Natal Minisuma camp do not emerge, he still stands a very high chance of emerging as deputy president of the ANC in any case, because we see even provinces that uh, nominated uh, Ramaphosa, for example, if you look at uh, the Eastern Cape, uh, Didi received 190 branch nominations. If you look at Gauteng, for example, uh, when Ngosa Daminizuma only scored 64 branch nominations, Titi scored 75. So he remains popular, and I think in terms of branch nominations, he leads uh, Lindiwe Sisulu Sulu as, uh, for that position of deputy president. Yeah.
0: So let's look at, K, uh, at KZN. 454 branches behind Ngosa Daminizuma, 191 behind Ramaphosa. But the Eastern Cape is at 423 for Ramaphosa. That's just 31 branches less compared to KZN. Mm. That's not really a big margin and I suppose the point I'm trying to make is the Eastern Cape may be the third biggest um, in terms of the party's membership, but it's the biggest province behind Ramaphosa and the numbers aren't looking that bad for him if you compare it with the biggest
1: province yes. of KZN. So, I mean, this has been my point all year, um, which is that if things go, if, if the support for, for him in the Eastern Cape was as strong as he thought it was, and if, if Senzo Mkunu was able to deliver some of the branches in KwaZulu-Natal, suddenly the Eastern Cape and, and KZN start to balance each other out. And that's actually what's happened, apart from the slight difference you refer to of about 30 branches. So what you're looking at is that the rest of the country then suddenly becomes more important. This increases the strength of the small areas. So, obviously, Mpumalanga is among that. You know, the Those who voted for Comrade Unity actually outnumber the Western Cape and the Northern Cape. Mm. But suddenly the small provinces start to matter more than they would have otherwise because the big provinces in the ANC have balanced each other out. And I think that's part of the dynamic we're seeing. You've got to also take a moment and think to yourself, all of the resources thrown into this, right? an incumbent president on one side, really, backing Adlamini Zuma, a very rich man with lots of other resources from within the ANC and people who support him on the other side, and it still is as close as it is. That mm. tells you many things, tells you how important it is, tells you about the amount of resources, suggests they're evenly matched in the final analysis.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the smaller provinces, the Western Cape and the Northern Cape, and I was speaking to some campaigners of Mkosaza and Adlamini Zuma who, who are actually making a mockery of the smaller provinces that, well, Cyril shouldn't even be celebrating the Northern mm. Cape and the Western Cape because, for example, if you take Etekwini, um, for example, the delegates that are coming out of there are actually more than the mm. number of branches combined
1: mm. The Northern Cape In, and the including Western Including from Zuma's branch which isn't coming to the conference <laughs> because suddenly they can't agree.
0: Yeah, okay, so... All in all, we're looking at about 1,858 branches behind Ramaphosa and 1,351 behind Laminizuma. Of course, more branches can be added on or even taken out mm. because some are doing reruns of their branch general meetings while others are the subject of dispute. But let's look at other structures in the ANC that have the voting power, the ANC Youth League, ANC Women's League, and the Veterans League. They're each bringing 60 delegates Is it fair to say NDZ already has 120... Because mm-hmm. of the NC women's, league, of the, the women's league. league and
1: the youth league? Um, I, th- I would certainly think from the youth league, almost all. 55 to, mm. you know, Angie And there is evidence of some sort of a small-scale rebellion in the women's league. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if we find that, say, 40 from the women's league vote in favor of Glamini Zuma. Um, and of course, we mustn't forget that, that that advantage, you know, the veterans league, we expect almost wholesale to go for Ramaphosa. Um, maybe 55 votes there. And then then his strength there comes from the provincial executive committees, because five of the provinces back him, four backed Lamini Zuma. And this goes to a much bigger point, is that you're going to have, if Lamini Zuma wins, five of the provincial leaderships will disagree with her. And if Ramaphosa wins, yeah. four of the provincial leaderships will disagree with him. Either way, you're looking at an ANC now, where the chances of a split or paralysis start to increase. Any compromise will surely lead to paralysis. So the state capture inquiry in Parliament, right? They've called a Singh to come back in January. If Glemini Zuma wins, do they continue with the inquiry? Yeah. Now, look at Jackson Tembu. He's the guy who's really set this in going. The people have, you know, Pravin Gordon and co have shown what they're made of. Mondli and They're not going to stop. I mean, their lives have been threatened. They're not going to stop. So even if Glemini Zuma were to say to them, you have to stop, they might refuse. Now, what happens, for example, if the other side wins, if um, Ramaphosa wins? Obviously, he would continue that. But the caucus in, in the the ANC caucus in the National Assembly, roughly a third strongly behind Zuma, roughly a third strongly behind Ramaphosa, roughly a third in the middle. And so what you're looking at was a situation where either third could bring down the president at any one time. Mm. Uh-huh. Now, and, and if you're an opposition party and you're watching this, what's the first thing you do during the State of the Nation address? Uh, Madam Speaker, yes, Mr. Honorable Stian Hazen, Madam Speaker, could we please have a vote of no confidence <laughs> in the President <laughs> immediately, just yeah. put pressure on your opponent?
0: Jeez, so you're saying whichever way it goes, the ANC is still going to face some tougher cloud going ahead. The provincial executive committees, you mentioned that, and they're bringing about 27 delegates to Each the conference. Hour. And you have already spoken about how five are with mm-hmm. Ramaphosa NN. The NEC is almost divided in mm-hmm. half, Stephen. You can't really tell. And I was looking at the numbers that the Nkosazana Dlamini zuma campaign is trying to play with. And they seem to be claiming that over 80% of the NEC will actually come to the conference and vote for
1: NDZ. That can't be correct. Um, I would say, if you look at all the number of votes we've had and the number of times the motion has been debated that Zuma should be recalled as president, right? Mm-hmm. And we accept, as I think most people do, that Lamini, Zuma, and Zuma are of the same political unit, are supported by the same people, etc., call- calling for the same things. I would say that the number of people in the NEC who would vote for Ramaphosa would be just slightly higher than the number of people who would vote for a recall of Zuma. And that's because they don't want to cause, they haven't wanted to cause the chaos that removing Zuma would have caused, mm. right? But this would be the way to do it. And this has been the message. I mean, this was the message, essentially, that Guetta Mantasha said to the ANC caucus during that vote of no confidence where 35 or so ANC MPs voted against Zuma is wait until the conference. You can't now put that genie back in the box. Yeah. And surely that goes for many people in the NEC as well. So if you accept, and as I do, you're looking at around 40 to 45 people in the NEC want Zuma out, I would say around 50 would vote for Ramaphosa. Let's talk about what happens now until the
0: 16th. Surely it's the jostling, the lobbying, the convincing of other branches or delegates. And add to that... The vote buying, it's a reality, Stephen.
1: I think it is, and the ANC itself has spoken about this, but you've got to also remember there are boundaries around that behavior because of what would happen if any picture were to emerge on Twitter of money-changing hands. Mm. Um, Then immediately everyone goes off to court. So I think there are boundaries around what can be done, and I think that makes it difficult. Um, I think you're also... So, lots of jostling behind the scenes, lots of deals, uh, people talking to both sides at the same time, all of that kind of thing. And then there's the various strategies that can be employed. So, do we see Mabuza suddenly rock up at an event with Ramaphosa? Then we would know. Do we see him spending a whole week with Lamini Zuma? Then we would know. Or even Sikhla Zikalala? Then we would know um, from KwaZulu-Natal. Um, but there are other things that can easily happen. Zweli Kize can suddenly start to speak very glowingly of Sura Ramaphosa. As Tokyo Sekwale did of Zuma back 10 years ago, years ago. Um, You might start to see all of the other candidates, five candidates, going one way. That would be interesting. That wouldn't bring many numbers, but it would be interesting. Um, So I think all of these things start to get very complicated. The point of it all is at the moment It's simply too close to call.
0: All right, let's listen again to Lukon Amgoni, this time telling us about what he thinks will be happening between now and the 16th of December.
2: We are almost going to head towards what we call eight days in December, um, where the last week uh, towards conference is going to be very heated, uh, full of anxiety for a lot of comrades as they try to convince each other in terms of uh, horse trading. We know that seven presidential hopefuls were there. We only have two presidential candidates at this stage, because you can only be a candidate if you are nominated by a province. So now what ha- what becomes of the other five presidential hopefuls? Do they just uh, uh, dwindle into the twilight of their political careers, or are they still useful for the movement? That's very important. Um In this period, we are also going to probably see a lot of uh, manipulation of who ends up at conference. So, member provinces still have to make bookings for their branch delegates in terms of transportation and accommodation. Uh, if you are not enjoying support, you are not supporting what the province supports, uh, will the sub province sabotage your mobility to be in Nazareth? So, these are all the important things uh, that uh, are going to be happening, let's say, behind the scenes. But I think in terms of the public uh, posture, Some of the candidates might want to come out and convince society that they are well positioned to actually lead the ANC and that there would be uh, no uh, serious uh, catastrophe if they were to win conference. And I think the most person the person who is most likely to do that is Ngoza Zanadlaminez, who appears strategically in certain uh, platforms because there is a big uh, outcry in society that if she takes over, that is the end of the AFC.
0: This is probably the most crucial stage of um, preparations to the elective conference in terms of the ca- different
1: campaigns. Yes, until the actual voting starts because mm. the crucial moment is going to be the result, obviously, and then whether it's accepted. And that vibe in the hall is going to tell us. Yeah. And just lastly, what we're
0: discussing now obviously raises this question of honesty and loyalty on the part of the delegates because... In a political campaign? (laughs) There's nothing like that, right? Because they can't really prove um, to their Mm. different branches that, hey, look, I voted as I was mandated to you guys. By you guys. No, you
1: can't. You can't. But branches will know people and they will trust them. Yeah. They will have known, they'll have long relations with people on both sides. Mm. You know, if you're from KwaZulu-Natal in Umlazi, for example, or Queenie, you know, you will know the person you're sending. You will have known them for years. You will trust that comrade. Mm. Both ways, I think. Um, branches, the branch general meetings are the most important branch meeting ANC members will have been to in this five-year period. I think they will have taken due care if they're able to.
0: <laughs> All right. Stephen Frutches, thank you so much for your time helping us unpack what is happening right now as we lead up to the ANC's elective conference.